different because it's a testimony night. Um, so Jen, Jen, sorry, Kyle, <laughs> Jen and Kyle um, are going to share their testimony. But before they do, Matt is going to read through Esther 4. Um, and he's also going to be the one asking them questions. So uh, before we get started, um, let's pray together. God, uh, just thank you for this space. Thank you for the book of Esther. Um, and even though your name is not in it, Lord, you are present. And even though we don't see you or hear you um, or feel you, Lord, we know that you are present too. I pray that uh, you would just open our eyes while Matt reads through Esther 4. You would help us recognize things that uh, we have not recognized before. Um, and also that we would be able to connect that to Jen and Kyle's testimony as they just talk about their lives <laughs> and what you've done in and through them. And I pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Uh, so last thing, as Matt reads, um, make sure that you are underlining stuff that sticks out to you or circling certain verses or words or things, because um, those will also be things that we talk about in your small group. All right. So uh, page 14, chapter 4. When Mordecai learned all that had occurred, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, sackcloth and ashes, went into the middle of the city, and cried loudly and bitterly. He went only as far as the king's gate, since the law prohibited anyone wearing sackcloth from entering the king's gate. There was great mourning among the Jewish people in every province where the king's command and edict reached. They fasted, wept, and lamented, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. Esther's female servants and her eunuchs came and reported the news to her, and the queen was overcome with fear. She sent clothes for Malik, or Mordecai to wear so that he would take off his sackcloth, but he did not accept them. Esther summoned Hathach, one of the king's eunuchs who attended her, and dispatched him to Mordecai to learn what he was doing and why. So Hathach went out to Mordecai in the city square in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened, as well as the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay the royal treasury for the slaughter of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa, ordering their destruction, so that Hathach might show it to Esther, explain it to her, and command her to approach the king, implore his favor, and plead with him personally for her people. Hathach came and repeated Mordecai's response to Esther. Esther spoke to Hathach and commanded him to tell Mordecai, all the royal officials and the people of the royal provinces know that one law applies to every man or woman who approaches the king in the inner courtyard and who has not been summoned, the death penalty. Unless the king extends the gold scepter, allowing that person to live, I have not been summoned to appear before the king for the last 30 days. Esther's response was reported to Mordecai. Mordecai told the messenger to reply to Esther, Don't think that you will escape the fate of all the Jews because you are in the king's palace. If you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will come to the Jewish people from another place. But you and your father's family will be destroyed. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Go and assemble all the Jews who can be found in Susa. 
and fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my female servants will also fast in the same way. After that, I will go to the king, even if it, against, if it is against the law. If I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went and did everything Esther had commanded him. So we're going to transition to the oh yep to the uh, testimony time with Kyle and Jen here. All right. So first question. Let's start at the beginning. What was your life like before you had a relationship with Jesus? <laughs> Um, so honestly, in for me, I can't remember a time when I didn't know Jesus. I was blessed that my parents didn't like the school district that me and my sisters were living in. So they enrolled us at a private Christian grade school that I attended from kindergarten through eighth grade. Um, and so I have a sister who's three years older than me. So she started in kindergarten as well. So by the time she was in school, I was two years old. So I can't remember a time when I wasn't given um, knowledge of Jesus and that he died for me. Um, it, during school, I was, me and my sisters were all baptized as a baby because we were in a Lutheran church. Um, so that is what they believed in was infant baptism. Um, and then in eighth grade, I had a confirmation class. So instead of taking our normal um, religion class. If we were a member of the church that our school is connected with, we took a confirmation class. And so like two weeks before my eighth grade graduation, I took the confirmation and that was me becoming a member of the church. Um, looking back for me, that was something that I would have chosen willingly, but when you're, you know, 12, 13 years old and it's a part of your school curriculum, it doesn't feel like a choice. It feels like it's expected. So it wasn't, I didn't feel like it was something I willingly chose at that time. It was something that I had to do. It was expected of me to be that Christian role model for our school. So to, like looking back, I probably would have wanted to wait until I was older at 12 years old, think about that. You guys are making life choices. That's kind of scary. So for me, looking back, I would have wished that I could have waited until I was older and fully understood what that meant for my um, path of following Jesus. And then when I got to high school, I went to public school. So I went from knowing everyone from when I was five years old and had a class of 24 people to I knew three people in my high school, and that included my older sister. So that was very scary, and that was a very challenging time for me. Um, it definitely was a challenge for my faith because I went from somewhere where, you know, we prayed every morning before lunch. We had chapel every Wednesday. And then I went to a place where if I prayed before I ate my lunch, I was laughed at. And I was like, people would distance themselves from me because they thought I was weird. So it was a very like culture shock for me to go into that environment. And so that was definitely a time that I just kind of 
was hopeless in my faith um, during that time. Like by the time all of my, me and my sisters graduated eighth grade, my family just stopped going to church. It was like a gradual decrease of attending church. But by the time my sister was a sophomore, we hadn't been to church in a year. So it was definitely a time where, like, I never doubted there was an existence of God or that Jesus, you know, died for me. But it was a time that I just wasn't active in my faith. I wasn't looking to God for fulfillment in my life. I grew up completely different. (laughs) (laughs) Um, As far as I talked with my mom and stuff, I learned that up until we were three, my family went to church. But when I was three, my grandpa died, and my dad was angry at God, and we stopped going to church. I still went on and off through through uh, grade school. I went, a lot of my friends that I had were a part of the church, and I, I uh, tagged along. I went to ice camp, um, but I never really had a home church that I knew of when I was little. Um, and through high school and stuff, I still hang out with the same group of friends. And most of the time that I wasn't lonely, I was with the group of my Christian friends. Other than that, with growing up, I grew up in a very um, broken family. Uh, parents fought constantly. There wasn't really happiness. Um, there wasn't, didn't get much grace in my on my side of things. Um, so I grew up with a sister and it, she turned everything against, against us. We, we just were on a very downward spiral. Um, so through high school and stuff, and then my parents ended up getting divorced my senior year, um, fully, uh, just breaking that family apart. Um, which I'll just go ahead and go right into that second one. Okay. That, that it leads so, right. It just so leads. This, it just leads right into that second one. Yeah. So just um, just to, we'll say you know. So the event that leads to your conversion or or accepting Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Uh, so after my parents got divorced, I started to go back to church. Um, I was lost. I was looking for something. Uh. I started going back to my mom's home church with my family, her side of the family. And uh, at the end of my senior year, uh, I got the call on a Sunday morning that my grandma on my dad's side had passed. This is a woman who raised me over the summers and stuff. We spent a lot of time together. And at church, we were going through uh, a passage and we were going through communion, and I just, I remember breaking down in the middle of church. I had told a single person in my family, so it was at that moment that I accepted Jesus Christ in my life, and from there it was a journey all the way through college. It was, um, I jumped from church to church. Uh, I, <clears throat> back up a little bit, I went to United Methodist Evangelical in Washington is the church that was our home church. They went through a change we didn't agree with, so we church hopped until we landed at Rock Creek, which is where I was baptized 
and fully accepted Jesus Christ um, publicly. And then uh, I found a home at Newcastle there in Mackinac up until we moved to Michigan. So and then in Michigan, that was where we kind of lost our path again and got called back home here, which is where we've been for the past two years. So. So for me, it wasn't like a specific moment that I accepted Christ. Like I said, I knew about him since I was just a little kid. So for me, it's been more of like a process of truly understanding and um, coming to acceptance of what it means in my life. So I was baptized as an infant in my church. It was my parents and the church congregation taking acceptance for my faith. When I did my confirmation in eighth grade, that was supposed to be me taking control and guiding my own path, but I didn't understand what that meant. We did not have a hype group like this. It was church and Sunday school, and that was it. So when I had issues or I was struggling with my faith, I didn't have anyone to turn to besides my parents, but they didn't know what they were doing either. Um, so that was just a time that kind of was just, I was just confused. So we stopped going to church for a couple years um, until I met Kyle, and then I started going to Newcastle with him, um, and that be kind, of, kind of became like my newfound path. Um, we got involved in their youth group there, so it was, you know, a great time. They had a girls group, they had a guys group, they had combined. So it was really great to make those friendships um, that were based on faith, and they could kind of help me find my way back to where I was supposed to be. Um, and then when we moved to Michigan, we didn't really find our home church. It was really, not knowing anyone, it's difficult to find a church like uh, like this, where they preach just what's in the Bible and not their own personal opinions and beliefs about it. Um, and, like, so for me, like, I always knew I had sin, but I never really understood what that meant. You know, as a kid, you're like, I know the Ten Commandments. I haven't killed anybody, so I'm okay, right? And then as you get older, well, you're like, anytime you're mad at someone, if you're like, just wish they would go away, well, you're breaking one of those commandments, or if you're like, I'm jealous of that person, well, there you go. But as a kid, you don't understand that. So now as an adult, I understand these things and I can process them better. So it's been a journey for me. So my next step is to, as an adult, recommit myself to Jesus. Like for me growing up, my baptism stood a purpose at that time, but it wasn't something I chose so I feel like I want to have this immersion baptism, which is what this church does. And as an adult, say, I am deciding my path. Like, this is where I want to be, and this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, so, like, for me, being a leader in hype was something I had no experience with at all before. So I'm very blessed that Kent invited us to do that because I never would have volunteered myself as a leader for hype. Um, so that was definitely a big moment for me of letting Christ take control and telling me where I'm supposed to be. So that's, that's kind of a, uh, an evidence of what the Holy Spirit's doing in, in your life. So how, how has 
Christ changed your life. So let, you've got that picture of what life looked like before you made that specific decision for yourself, um, that Jesus was going to be your Lord and Savior and that you were going to follow him ho however, however it comes. So what are some of those specific evidences of the Holy Spirit living inside of you and, and what you've seen since, since that moment? So definitely one of my biggest moments was him bringing us back to Illinois. Being up in Michigan, it, it's a four and a half hour drive to come back to see our family. So we felt very isolated. We would come down as often as we could on the weekends. But during the week, we didn't have anyone to kind of get together with and talk, especially because we lived there during the first two years of COVID. So everything was shut down at that point. Um, so that was definitely a time where him bringing us back to Illinois, it was just a blessing because within a few months of us being here, we found Crosspoint and it became our home church. We felt so welcomed and included and it was just a great feeling. Um, and then definitely for me, having Finn has been a big evidence. Um, you don't think about it until you have a child, but I could never give up my child to save anybody and there have been nights where I'm putting him to sleep and I'm just holding him I'm like I can't imagine that pain that God must have felt to sacrifice his child to save us when we didn't do anything to deserve it so like having Finn now like that's just a big evidence to me that that's true love like you can't find that from like your parents love you yes but they get mad at you and they punish you like god forgives us for every little sin we have and that's just the greatest blessing that we could ever know the big one for me is um being content with his plan and knowing that i might not know what that plan is like we kind of wanted to come home at the time. I was looking for jobs. I couldn't find a job. Um, I'd actually quit looking. I'd given up, and I was sitting at my desk. I got a call. I said, hey, you want a job in Goodfield, Illinois? And it was a 2 $3 um, decrease in pay per hour, and I went, I'm coming home. And... Ever since we made that choice and him leading us to here to this point, it just confirms that you might not know what he has planned for you, um, but God is working in your life always. He's always there, whether you see it or not. Sometimes it's 10 years down the road you'll see what he's doing in your life. Um and whether it's through the hardships or stuff like that, because I know in the time, like, that that my senior year was not, it was a dark place. It was, things were happening. Um, but he was leading me to this point. He was leading me, guiding my life, and being content with that it's not in my control. It's in his control that has, that has opened my eyes to that. So you mentioned that there was some hardship, and that was kind of, as I understand, before you came to know Jesus. How is it that 
you respond differently to those hardships, those, those problems with sin and with um, just the brokenness of our world before Jesus to now? Like, how has knowing Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior made the sin struggle and dealing with just the brokenness of the world different? Having peace and lean on him and that he'll keep his promise. Having f- firm foundation that he promised, his promise is true, it saves us, and having peace within that, that even in our in our daily struggles, that uh, can lean on him a lot instead of doing it on my own and stuff like that. Uh, so for me, it's not necessarily a question of different before Jesus. Um, for me, it's more of a process of truly understanding and knowing um, that God's in control. So I have anxiety. I will never stop worrying that something's going to happen or that, you know, Finn will be sick or hurt. It's just a fear that will never go away. But I have to know that God's in control, um, that everything he d- that happens is something that he's thought about. He has a plan. We'll never understand his plan, but we have to look at it as a bigger picture than just how we feel emotionally. So, like, as an adult now, I have to look for the root cause of my sin. Like I said earlier, you know, I've never murdered anybody, but having that anger towards people, even if it's my sister, um, that's a sin. So I have to look for the root cause. Why am I angry? Why am I upset? And so now as an adult, like, even when, you know, it's been a rough day with Finn, he won't stop crying. I can't have five minutes of quiet I have to take a mental timeout, whether I'm still holding him or whatever I have to do. But mentally, I have to disassociate from the situation and kind of just reflect of, you know, I'm sitting right now. I'm angry with a child who doesn't understand. And you have to think that's exactly what we are to God. He has this plan for us that we're just like, nope, I'm going to go this way. And he has to bring us back. And it's like no matter how many times we sin in a day, he still loves us no matter what. So for me, it's just having that that mindset of whenever I'm in one of those places where I'm sinning, I have to think, okay, I need to ask for forgiveness from not only God, but if I'm angry at Finn, I have to, he doesn't understand, but I have to ask him for forgiveness. Like, I'm sorry I was mad at you. You have no idea what I'm saying. You still love me, and that's what matters. So, like, even at night, like, I'm frustrated that he takes 30 minutes to go to sleep. But I'm like, he's a baby. He doesn't know. And he's my child. So, um, so just for me, it's like knowing that God has that control and that no matter how many times I sin, we still have that love and that unconditional forgiveness because we believe that his son died to save us. All right. So we have been going through the book of Esther. Um, the, the question for you guys is, you know, tonight's chapter four or something that we've covered already or that we'll get to, is there something in the book of Esther that, um, you know, one truth that, that God has for us that you would really like to highlight and, and make sure that they hear? Um, so for me, like my truth is like your path is your path. And like, no matter where life leads you or sin leads you, 
if you believe in God and you recognize that you have that you're a sinner and that Jesus died for you, you're loved and you're treasured more than you could ever possibly understand. And, and like for me, I just have to remember it's uh, Matthew or sorry John ten twenty seven to thirty. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So for me, that's just like something that resonates with me since, you know, I have stopped going to church for periods of time in my life. And it's just that knowledge and understanding that it's okay. Like, I'm still forgiven and loved, and I'm welcomed back with open arms when I do come back to church. And so for me, that's just, like, my personal truth, but it's something that as you guys get older and you might have those moments where it's really easy to stay in bed on Sunday morning, especially if you're out late Saturday night, and you shouldn't skip church, but if it's that one time and you just need that break, you can always watch it on YouTube Live but you're forgiven. Your parents might be upset at you, but God understands and he forgives you. I kind of touched on it with my, my, my truth with, with this and Esther is, is you don't know, you just might not see it in the moment, but God is working as you've talked to past three chapters and stuff like that. You know, you asking, is God working? constantly asking our small groups, you know, is God working in, uh, through these, those moments? And the answer is yes. Always working, whether, like I say, whether you see it or not. All right. Uh, so to close out our testimony time, um, is there a practical advice that you would like to give the students? Um, something that has, how God has helped you through, uh, in your life that that you want to make sure that that they hear mine comes from matthew six twenty one, for where your treasure is your heart will follow and that's to the point of put your treasure in the lord and heaven and your heart will follow on a daily basis you won't get caught up in and in, in the little things and stuff like that remembering that constantly that that is our goal but that treasure, but that treasure, that Lord Jesus Christ died for your sins, and your heart will follow. For me, my advice would be to find your path and enjoy the journey, and to know that you're never alone. Um, like sometimes it can be really easy to find those negative moments in your life, and to just stay in that place. So. I'm one person that does that all the time. I always focus on the negative. And sometimes I just have to sit there and think of, I do happy crappies. Might sound silly, but I'll sit there and I'll name. If I have a crappy, I have to name at least two happies to cover it. So you have to find those little moments and cherish them and enjoy them. It can be something as simple as, like for for our uh, sixth and seventh grade girls, it's if you can't think of a happy you're here and you're breathing. God still has a purpose for you. If that's the happy that you have to tell yourself every day, 
and tell yourself that every day and enjoy it and live for that moment. Um, and then you guys are never alone. You have all of these friends in this room with you. You have these leaders. You guys have a whole congregation out in the front on Sundays who would love to talk to you, listen to your story, and help you. You guys can always call me, text me, Facebook me. We can meet up for lunch, even if it's just you just need to talk about a situation at school. It might have nothing to do with your path with Christ, but you're never alone. You guys always will have support and friendship here. All right. Well, thank you guys for sharing with us. Um, one thing we like to do is to pray for our testimony uh, people. Um, so I will go ahead and pray. If you guys would like to extend your hand to just show that you're supporting the prayer for them, and uh, we'll go ahead. Father God, thank you for Kyle and Jen and Finn and um, the life that they bring here, the faithfulness that they have been to hype um, in the last couple of years. Thank you that you have uh, been with them and have walked through life and uh, you will continue to do that as well. Thank you that um, that your faithfulness um, to love us and to, to give us grace is always there, and that that, uh, that that draws us closer to you. Father, we ask that you would um, encourage them as they as they uh, leave here tonight that um, that they faithfully gave their testimony uh, of you and what you've done in their lives, and that um, that you would uh, just bless them tonight. Father, thank you for your son, Jesus, um, as both Jen and, and Kyle testified to, that it is your love that, uh, that makes all the difference in our lives, and um, we can't say we love you back uh, enough. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.